Now, so look with me at Hosea chapter number one, and I'm going to start in verse number, got these cables under my feet, Scott. Hosea chapter one, verse number one. It says, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Barry, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. And in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Verse 2, when the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go and take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry. For the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer. By the way, anybody wants to name their daughters Gomer this year, this is the year to do it. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel, for in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. Doesn't sound good. Verse five, it shall come to pass in that day that I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bore a daughter. And then God said to him, call her name Lo-Rahamah. Now, if you're in a, like the English ESV version or some other translations, Lo-Rahamah, it, it might have translated that for you, but I put it on the slide. That literally means no mercy. So we want you to name her, God says, name her no mercy. For I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Yet I will have mercy on the house of Judah, will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword or battle, by horses or horsemen. Now when she had weaned no mercy, lo Rahama, she conceived and bore a son. Then God said, call his name Loami. Loami uh, means literally not my people. Okay, that's what that name means. I put it there on the slide for you. Call his name, not my people, not mine. For you are not my people and I will not be your God. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. There it shall be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. Then the children of Judah, the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head. And they shall come up out of the land for great will be the day of Jezreel. Now the last 12 books uh, of the Old Testament are known as the minor prophets. Raise your hand. Have you ever heard that expression before? Minor prophets. Now, it doesn't mean insignificant or uh, they're not of legal age to drink yet or anything like that. Minor prophets uh, is a, deals with the fact that it's shorter, that it's a shorter book of the prophecy, right? If you go from Hosea and go all the way to Malachi, these are minor prophets and they're just shorter than some of the others. And the first of these minor prophets, again, is by a man named Hosea. Now, we do not know a great deal about Hosea, uh, but look at this next slide. We understand that his name means literally salvation. So Hosea's name, his very name, means salvation. Uh, but we don't know much about him as an individual. Now, if you paid attention while we're reading that, God asked him to do some very strange things, did he not? To, to marry a woman of holotry and to name your kids Jezreel and 
and not my people and no mercy. That's strange. But what you see in the Old Testament, a lot of the times God would ask the Old Testament prophets to do some strange things. For three years, Isaiah embarrassed the people because for three years he walked around dressed like a POW, like a prisoner of war. For several months, Jeremiah carried a yoke on his shoulders. The prophet Ezekiel acted like a little boy and he played war in the streets. And once he used a haircut as a theological object lesson. And then when his wife suddenly died, uh, uh, he actually, Ezekiel actually uh, used that as a sermon, uh, the passing of his wife as a lesson. So why do these men do these strange things? We're dressing like PEWs, we're mar marrying women of harlotry, we're walking around with yokes on our shoulders for all this time. These strange things are actually, you can bet they are acts of mercy. It's God being merciful. The people of God had become so deaf to God's voice that just a regular sermon just wasn't going to cut it anymore. They weren't listening and they weren't going to hear. They weren't paying any attention to the covenant they had with God. And so God called his servants to do these strange things to hope that people would wake up and listen to what they had to say. God was doing everything he could to get their attention. And only then could the nation escape the divine judgment that God was promising that he was sending to them. But no prophet had to do a more painful living illustration than the prophet Hosea. Uh, he's instructed to marry a prostitute. Again, her name is Gomer. Bless her heart. And she gave him three children. Now, the last two of the three children, he doesn't even know if they're his. I don't even think Gomer knows who they belong to, Right. And then Gomer leaves him for another man. And then Hosea had this humiliating responsibility through a series of events to go back and purchase his wife. He had to go and buy his wife out of bondage and bring her back home. So what's this all about? It's a picture of the nation of Israel prostituting themselves against the one true God. It's a picture of the unfaithfulness of the people of Israel, prostituting themselves to idols and committing uh, spiritual adultery. We see it now in 2020. It's nothing new. Look at James chapter 4, verse 4. Uh, James said, adulterers and adulteresses. Just as this. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And so what we have here is some important spiritual lessons about commitment and to faithfulness to God. And just like in Hosea's day, many of God's people had turned from the one true God and they had become idolatrous and were chasing after false idols and almost anything else than keeping their promise with the covenant keeping God of Israel. They had wandered far away. Well, we see that today. I mean, we see it all the time. This is a message for us. Here this message is literally thousands of years old, but applies today just as much as the sunrise happened this morning. It's for us. Now, I want you to see, look at this next slide. This is the key theme of the book of Hosea, right? And what we need to understand is that devotion to the Lord is like being faithful in marriage. It's a good thing, but idolatry is like adultery. And so being faithful to God is like being faithful in marriage. But to be idolatrous is like to be an adulteress, uh, being a person committing adultery in marriage. And so we're going to see, kind of in these verses, we're going to break these down a little bit tonight, but we're going to see how Hosea's story applies to us and how we catch ourselves sometimes not being faithful to 
God. So when we go through these verses, what do we see? Number one, write this down. First thing we see is just a sinful people. A sinful people. Now let me give you a short, short history lesson here. When Hosea writes this, the nation of Israel is divided. The southern kingdom of Judah is being ruled by the descendants of David. Raise your hand if you heard of David. All right, they're ruled by the descendants of David. But the northern kingdom of Israel is characterized by assassinations and intrigue and drama and murder and great, great sinfulness. There's always some vicious takeover waiting to happen. But despite that, in the time of Hosea, it's a time of relative peace and prosperity. Everybody's doing good. Everybody's got money in the bank. The economy's looking up. We don't have a lot of enemies around us right now. Surely God is pleased with me. I've got a lot of money in the bank. And that's the time that Hosea's in. It, would, it was going to take some kind of a, a shocking wake-up call to shock their system where they would stop and listen and hear what God wants to tell them about this judgment that is coming their way. So God is going to shock the system through the marriage of his prophet Hosea to this prostitute named Gomer. Now again, um, scholars really aren't sure uh, if she was a prostitute before she married Hosea or just after. But make no mistake about it, this is who she is, and he is divinely called and appointed to marry this unfaithful woman. Look at verse number two in your Bible. It says, when the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. Look at this next slide. Gomer's unfaithfulness represents the spiritual unfaithfulness of Israel. That's what you need to see. When the picture of Gomer cheating on her husband, being unfaithful to her husband, is the picture of God's people being unfaithful to God. That's what you need to see. Leaving God to serve other idols. Look at this next slide. But Hosea's faithfulness to his wife represents God's faithfulness to his picture, I mean to his people. So when you see this, that's what you need to see. Gomer represents uh, God's people turning their back on him into idolatry. But Hosea's faithfulness is God's faithfulness to his people even though they sin and they are unfaithful. Now you shouldn't, when it comes to the Bible, you should not all the time be putting yourself in there because usually you're wrong. Like we like to put ourselves in the story and we kind of, you know, we like to make ourselves the hero of the story. I mean, how many times have we heard about David and Goliath and how David slew the giant and how you can slay your giants too, right? And that's all fine and that's all good. But the truth is, in the story, you're the cowards that wouldn't come out in the valley to fight the giant. Jesus is David who slew the giant of sin and the grave and death and hell force. So what I'm saying is often, because we like to play the hero, especially uh, us tough guys, where you know what I'm talking about? No, you don't know what I'm talking about. But listen, we like to play, we like to play that you hate football. I don't even know how to talk to you. Listen, uh, we like to play the hero. But in this story, you're not Hosea. You're not God's prophet. In this story, if you're anybody, you're Gomer, Right? You are Gomer, the one who is unfaithful to her husband. We want to identify with Hosea, but more often than not, we're the unfaithful prostitute wife. And Hosea represents God's love for us. Matter of fact, one commentator wrote this. He said, so God brought it home to Hosea at ground level and at painful length by telling him to do the last thing a responsible prophet might expect. Go and marry a prostitute. Because if we may paraphrase it this way, this is exactly what I, the Lord, have married in pledging myself to all of you. 
And Hosea did not gather uh, that he could simply go through a form of marriage or ultimately that God would find a prostitute with a heart of gold. He married a shallow, mercenary woman, the kind who might walk on him the moment it suited her, and she started another family. Listen, here's, here's the idea. Think about many people dream about their wedding day, right? What it's going to, especially the ladies, right? What it's going to be like and who I'm going to marry. And whether you've ever dreamed about your wedding day or not, the one thing that you never dreamed was to marry a prostitute. A prostitute. But that is exactly what God calls Hosea to do, to marry a prostitute. And in light of this, and in light of what God's word is saying here, we need to ask ourselves a very serious question. Look at this next slide. Do we worship anyone or anything other than the one true God? And if the answer is even yes in the slightest little bit, you are being a gomer. You're being unfaithful to the one true God. Again, think in terms of the marriage illustration. Is your heart dedicated to God alone? Or does money and control and entertainment or pleasure fight for your affections that belong to God? And as, as we kind of look at this, as we continue through these verses, you're going to see that all of us are tempted by idols. Now, the only people that aren't tempted by false idols are people uh, who are just the biggest liars on the planet Earth. This is a temptation for every man, woman, boy, and girl. It's just how we are defined in our sin nature. So what, what the result of that is we have to be prepared to surrender anything to God that God calls us to surrender to him so that we can walk in obedience to him and in faithfulness. But the next thing, so we see a sinful people. Number two, write this down. The part that we don't like, nobody likes, is judgment. These verses are full of judgment. Because of these sinful people, because they are behaving like a prostitute woman, because of their unfaithfulness, because they're chasing after these false gods and they've forgotten about my covenant, my promise with them, I'm going to judge them. In the Bible, and specifically the Old Testament, names have significance. Now, I mentioned a moment ago that Hosea means salvation. It's the same root name as Joshua. Uh, Yeshua, it's the same root name as Joshua, which you know is the Old Testament version for the name for Jesus. And it's not only Gomer's adultery that reveals Israel's terrible, sinful spiritual condition, but the names that God says to give these children, it's unreal. And you might blow through that really quickly and kind of glance over it, but Israel, Israel's wickedness and the despicable, sinful nature of Israel. I mean, just God hates it so much. And you can see it how he named these kids. I mean, the first child was named Jezreel, uh, which literally means God scatters, if you will, anticipated Israel's end. Look go back to verse number four. He says, then the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel. For in a little while, I'll avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu and bring him into the kingdom of the house of Israel. It shall come to pass in that day that I'll break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Now, this name serves several purposes. Um, again, Jezreel talks about scattering. God's going to scatter Israel throughout the enemy's lands. Jezreel was a city that was already uh, that was associated with the drastic judgment of God. See, Jehu executed. Remember evil King Ahab and how God had promised judgment on evil King Ahab in the Bible. And Jehu executed uh, that judgment. But what happened was he was so zealous 
and wiping out Ahab and all his people and all the wickedness from the land, then he murdered a bunch of other people that God never told him to take out. I mean, like a bunch. He went so far that he killed King uh, Ahaziah of Judah and like 42 of his relatives. And they're like, man, we don't have a dog in this race. Man, we're, this is nothing to do with us. But Jehu just went on this murder spree, killing people. So think about it like this. To name your child in Hosea's time, to name your child Jezreel would be like naming your child, I don't know, Hitler. Right? Have you a little Saddam Hussein Kelly? And Osama bin Laden Diffy. That has a ring to it. But that would be the same thing. Do you hear me? When you, when, when in Hosea's time, when they heard that his son was named Jezreel, the impact would be the same if you walked into the classroom and met some of your children's uh, school classmates and then you're like, oh, what's your name? And they looked at you and they said, Hitler. That's how people in Hosea's day would have responded to hearing this name, Jezreel. Synonymous, bloodshed and guilt. Now, the second child that Hosea, well, I'm saying that the second child that Gomer's going to have, that Hosea's going to name, it's not even his child. Uh, uh, and again, I don't think Gomer knew who the father was, but this, uh, this was a daughter, a little baby girl, and God instructed the prophet to name her No Mercy. Look in your Bible at verse 6. It says, And she conceived again and bore a daughter. Then God said to him, Call her name Lo Rahamah. Again, that means no mercy. He says, for I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Now, I've heard some strange baby names, and I looked up a few and put them in my notes for you over the years. In the 70s, Sylvester Stallone and his ex-wife, Sasha, uh, they named their baby Sage, what was it? Sage Moonblood. I wonder how she's doing. Uh, former Spice Girl named her daughter Bluebell Madonna. Bluebell Madonna. It's like ice cream you just feel really guilty about. Amen. God, I, don't even, I don't even know what that means. It sounded right. You know, Kanye and Kim Kardashian, uh, that first child of theirs, they named him what? Northwest? Northwest? Uh, David Bowie and his ex-wife, Mary uh, Barnett, they named their son Zowie Bowie. He's a boy, and they named him, and I said Zowie, Zoe Bowie, that's what it is. Zoe Bowie. He, he later changed his name. I wonder why. And uh, uh, Bob Yodoff and his wife, Paula Yates, they named their three daughters, uh, Fifi, Trixie Bell, Peaches, Honey Blossom, and Little Pixie. I don't even know what to say about that. Now, those are some strange names. There's no doubt about it. But can you imagine having a baby girl, right, and looking down at your child, and what are we going to name her? We're going to name her No Mercy. No Mercy. Looking at your child, and we're going to name her No Mercy. Now, an uh, 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 even deeper translation of that word would be like the, to name your child not loved. Not loved. Oh, we got a baby girl. What's her name? Not loved. No mercy. Then Gomer had a third child. Again, this wasn't Hosea's child. This child they named Loami. It means not my people. Look at verse number eight. It says, Now when she had weaned Lo Rahamah, she conceived and bore a son. Then God said, call his name Loami, for you are not my people, and I will not be your God. First child named Jezreel, baby Hitler. Murder, blood, violence. 
Next child named not loved. Third child named not my people. It's the same way of saying not mine. I, you, you had a baby, right? What did you name your baby? Not mine. That's the child's name. And why go through all this with the kids and the names? God was trying to get the attention of the nation of Israel and to show them in a dramatic fashion that their idolatry was going to lead to judgment. He could have just had Hosea get up here and preach a sermon and tell everybody and, and like many of the other prophets did. But this is more serious. And so God had to demonstrate this in a dramatic fashion in a way that could not be denied. In a way, this strange thing and these children's strange names was a merciful gift of God, giving them the opportunity to repent of their sin and turn back to him before the judgment comes. But the thing is, is that while we have these sinful people, then we see the judgment of God. The third thing is present here as well. Write this down. It's grace. Grace. Now you might be wondering, where's God's love in all this? Where's the grace? All we've seen so far is the command of a godly man to marry a prostitute and to name their kids a bunch of terrible names and judgment, judgment, judgment. Before we even get out of the first chapter, though, we see this relentless love of God toward his people. That's really what makes the If you study the book of Hosea, that's what makes it unique is this relentless love of God. You know, that's what's that song we sing? The overwhelming. What is it, Scott? Ba 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 ba. Reckless love of God. I, I really like that song. Do you like that song? Yeah, it's terrible. Uh, here's why. Now, I like it. I just don't like the word reckless. God's love isn't reckless. It's not careless. It's not foolhardy. Like, if you're reckless, that's doing 100 miles an hour out here when we know the speed limit is 55, and you're out here doing 100. That's reckless. Does that make sense? Reckless. Well, and I, well, I thought to myself, when I was studying the book of Hosea, I thought to myself, if I could change a word in a song, it would be, I would change that word reckless to the relentless love of God. Because that's what we have here. Relentless. His love is relentless. That even though the people have turned their back on him, even though he is promising judgment, sure, and that it's going to come, Israel is sinning against God in a big way, and he is promising judgment to come. But he just doesn't stop there, right? He, he has no plans to utterly destroy the people and to leave them without a hope. He always plans to save a remnant. That's what he's promising here, a, a remnant. Look at verse number 10. He says, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. You know how we talked about our God as a promise keeping God? What did God promise Abraham way back when? Right? Your people. Look at the stars. Count the sand. Which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people. So you're not my people. There it shall be said to them, you are sons of the living God. Then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head. And they shall come out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Though they're scattered, God is going to gather his people back together again. Though they didn't receive, they didn't receive mercy in that judgment, they would receive mercy again. Though God is putting them out of the family of God, not mine, not mine, they're going to be brought back in again. Again, this is a beautiful picture of God's covenant love for his people, even for unfaithful people like us, because this is where the grace of God comes in. I like the changing of the names. It goes from not my people to my people. It goes from unloved to my loved ones. It changes everything. 
And these new names reflect the nation's new relationship with God. We're all of them going to be called children of God. Judah and Israel are going to be united as one. That's what God promises. And are going to submit to God as their ruler. Instead of Jezreel being a place of judgment, instead of Jezreel being a place of bloodbath and judgment and slaughter, it's going to be a place of sowing where God's people are going to uh, joyfully sow in their land and he's going to cause them to prosper. The Jews are still sown throughout the Gentile world. We have the nation of Israel, but the Jews are still sown throughout the world. Zechariah 10, 9 says, I will sow them among the peoples and they shall remember me in far countries. They shall live together with their children and they shall return. Like God promised Abraham, Israel will become like the sand on the seashore. Think about it. But then here's this picture, right? And we don't like that because we're Baptists. That whole part about where they're, they're God's people, but they're gomers. God's kicking them out of the family, right? You're out. You're not, you're not my people. You are not my people. You're gone. And he's going to judge them, but then he's going to have a remnant. And he's going to say, where you used to be not my people, now you are my people. Where you weren't loved, now you are my love. Where Jezreel was a place of slaughter, now it's going to be, be a place of sowing and reaping and prosperity and blessings. And they kind of, for us as Baptists, that kind of that doesn't feel right. I'm in and I'm out and I'm out and I'm in. But you need to understand that you've been in and out of the family of God too. Let me, understand, let me just try to explain this. In Adam, once upon a time, we were all gathered into the family of God. And because of your sin, you're a sinner by choice and a sinner by nature, that's placed you outside of the family of God. Does that make sense? That in Adam, originally, we were all in the family of God. But because of our sin, that placed us on the out. We say it all the time. You're not born in the family of God. You have to be what? Born again to be a child of God. We're all God's people. That's just not true. Scripture teaches us that we have to be adopted, grafted into the family of God by surrendering to Christ Jesus. God's people are those who have been born again. And so we were in the family of God in a sense, in Adam, before sin entered in. And now we're sinners by nature and by choice. And now we're outside of that. But then the gospel comes along and we receive the good news of Jesus Christ. And guess what? We're back in again. And it's this picture that we see right here in Hosea. Though we've been unfaithful in our sin, God has been faithful to redeem and to do everything necessary so that we can be saved and be in the family of God once again. So what does that mean? You see, if you're a Christian, that doesn't even make sense. This Hosea Gomer love, that doesn't make sense because I don't know a lot of men, I don't know a lot of women that will put up with that. Marrying a prostitute, having one child, having two kids, you don't even know if they're yours. This unfaithfulness and this love despite unfaithfulness is a kind of love that we don't understand. But the truth is his ways are higher than our ways. Right? He, he sees things on another level. He loves us on a whole another level that we cannot even fully wrap our minds around. And maybe you're here tonight and you're wondering if this really, no, you're wondering, like, I've been unfaithful. How could I deserve this kind of love that God has expressed for us? All of us have our inadequacies. All of us, all of us have been Gomer at one time or another. And it is for the Gomers that God died. That Jesus came and died. Not for perfect people, but for the gomers. It's for people like us that Christ died. And when we receive him, we're gomer and God is Hosea. See, 
Even though we sin even now and we fall short of the glory of God and none of us are fully sanctified and none of us are glorified and we recognize that we are not yet who we shall be one day with Jesus forever. We have not attained perfection. We're not righteous in ourselves. And when we see that, it, it makes it even more incredible that God married us when we were unclean. That God married us when he knew that we were going to be unfaithful. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have eternal life, have everlasting life, shall live forever even though it was our very sins that nailed him to the cross. He knew that we would forsake him. And he still, he loved us. And he still purchased us through Christ's sacrifice. Now, you may be here tonight and you haven't run as far as Gomer has run and I hope that's true. You may not have been so unfaithful as to deny God or seek other gods or you maybe you wouldn't even consider yourself committing spiritual adultery with false idols. But you've definitely flirted with them. That there's no doubt. You have been, at some point you have been half-hearted in your commitment and your love for Christ because you're human. Today is the day and now is the time to respond to this relentless love of God. That even when we've given up on ourselves, even when we recognize who we really are and the deepest, darkest parts of our hearts and our lives, still send his son Jesus to die for us so that we can be forgiven and redeemed. Remember, and we haven't talked about it yet, but that moment when Hosea had to go and purchase, it's his wife, man. This is his wife. He literally has to go and buy her off the auction block like a piece of meat to bring her back home. And here we are, spiritual gomers. And Christ had to, because we were once in the family of God with Adam, but now we're out of the family of God because we're sinners by choice and we're sinners by nature. And so Christ had to come and pay the price and purchase us like, like meat on an auction block. Sinners completely undone in ourselves with no worth, no value. And he loved us so much that he came and he purchased us with his blood because he saw us as that valuable. And he loved us that much that when we are unfaithful, he is faithful still. That is the God that we serve. That is the love that he freely bestows upon all of us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for the prophet Hosea. Whew, Lord, what a difficult task that you have called him to, Lord. I just, I just pray that, Lord, that we as your people... Um, with the will desire to be faithful, that your love would just draw us closer to you. God, that we will walk in obedience to your word and to your calling upon our life. But God, that we will celebrate and worship you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords because you have redeemed us from the auction block of slavery and you have set us free. And so God, tonight we're so grateful for your relentless love. Listen, guys, every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Maybe you're here tonight and you're a believer and you know that you're saved. You know that you've been forgiven. And what is your response to the prophet Hosea, God's word here tonight? It's simply this. Are there any false idols in your life? Have you kind of become a spiritual gomer in some area of your life, in some part of your life? You've allowed something else to take preeminence over Christ. You're a, a spiritual adulterer. And again, maybe it's not that bad. Maybe it hasn't gotten to that point, right? You're not 
you're not cheating on God at the office, but you're flirting. You're flirting. You're tempted. You can see it. And maybe right now, tonight, what you need to do is just an acknowledgement of this overwhelming faithfulness and love of God. Simply say, God, help me to be faithful to you. To return your love with love. Your faithfulness with my faithfulness. God, that you would empower me and give me the strength to be who you've called me to be. But God, to live in the reality of this amazing love that you've given me. I don't deserve. Lord, thank you for your love. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus. You don't know this incredible, relentless love of God. You've not been set free from your sin. And you know it and God knows it. And God has you here for a reason. And right there in your seat, you can pray to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and be forever redeemed, forever forgiven, forever walking in the love of God, never to be outside of the family of God again, to be completely secure in Christ. Why don't you do that? How do you do that? By trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, putting your faith in his death, burial, and resurrection. You can say a prayer like this. Simply humble yourself before God and say, Father God, I'm a sinner, Lord, but I turn from my sin and I'm turning to Jesus. I'm turning from my unfaithfulness and I'm turning to Jesus. I'm turning from my lies and I'm turning to Jesus. I'm turning from my adultery, Lord, and I'm turning to Jesus. Save me, Jesus. Tell him, Lord, save me. Tell them, say, I'm putting my faith in your death, burial, and resurrection for my salvation. All of me, I surrender to all of Jesus. Save me, Jesus. Listen, you pray a prayer like that and you do business with God, he absolutely will save you. What's your next step? You need to be baptized. God calls us to walk in obedience and follow through to be baptized. Maybe you're here tonight and your baptism's on the wrong side of your salvation. We talk about it all the time. Because it's so true and it's so common that your baptism is on the wrong side of your salvation. You've been saved, but maybe you got baptized sometime before that and, 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 and things are out of order. Listen, you come, we'll rejoice and pray with you and you'll have a load taken off of your shoulders the moment you come out of those baptismal waters. Why? Because you're doing the right thing and you're doing what God has called you to do. So why don't you come tonight we'll pray with you and schedule that time for you. Maybe God has called you to be a part of the Grace Baptist family. This is your church home, and God has confirmed that in your heart and in your life. I want you to come tonight and make it official. If God's calling, put on a jersey to be a part of the team right here at Grace. But whatever it is, I want to encourage you for just a moment in our invitation. And we won't take too long. But in your heart, just acknowledge this love of God. And ask God to seek out your heart and show you where he desires for you to do business with him. God does business with people that do business with him. Father God, we surrender this invitation to you. We love you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Will you stand with me and you come. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling.